0: Good morning. Good morning we uh, get celebrated baptism this morning yeah there's uh, there's a lot of conversation that we could have around baptism there's some things that I always say that I'll say here in a moment you know we have uh, believers baptism we also in general just have people who want to be baptized because they they never have because they've pursued their faith for a long time but then say man I've never really followed up on on being baptized. And so that's where where Sarah comes this morning. Uh, She's been following the Lord for for quite a while, has given her life to Christ, but she wants to be baptized now. And she's going to read something here in a minute. I wanted to uh, say a few things and connect some dots that I think are pretty powerful. In general, if you're not understanding what baptism is, this can seem like a weird religious bath ceremony and I can understand the tension. Uh, we got a book in the back that explains it really well. It says, why should I be baptized? It's blue, it's on the back wall, you can grab it. But in general, we understand that in uh, in Romans... Ten, verse 9 and ten, it says that if you confess with your mouth, if you profess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, Christ, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? And uh, Paul has this understanding that there is a public profession that happens. Jesus was baptized um, when. Uh, when Peter gives his big message of Pentecost, and they were cut to heart, they say, what should we do, Peter? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, to receive the Spirit. This, this promise is for you and your family. And so we do baptism as a symbol, right? It's not salvific. It doesn't save you. Baptism is an outward profession of an inward Commitment, an inward decision, and so we're saying, "Hey, look, I'm on the Lord's team. I'm following Him, right?" And it also reminds us of Christ's death and burial and His resurrection. That's why we say, "Buried with Christ and raised, new life in Him." And we always say, "You know, the deacons—they didn't put any sin scrubbing soap in here or anything. Um, the water isn't magical, right? Just like when we do the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine—they're not these magical elements that save you. They're things that remind us of King Jesus. And so, you as a church, you guys have a special participation, even if you watching from home. Your participation is to say, man, I am in on this. I am making a commitment as well. Just like if you go to a wedding, right? You go to a wedding and you, you if you sit there and you're not about that wedding and you don't stand up and say, hey, I'm, I'm against this, then you're missing out. Right? If you don't affirm it and say, yeah, I'm all for this, then you're missing out. Because the whole purpose of a wedding is to say, we're with you. Because marriage is hard. There are things that come up that are difficult. And we gather people together to celebrate what the Lord has done and commit to each other to grow together. And we do the same thing in baptism. So in a moment, I'm going to ask the church. I'm going to say, church, are you committed to this as well? And you'll say, amen, we are. Any sort of affirmation thing that you want to say. For now, I wanted to connect with you. Ethan and Sarah are getting married this Saturday, and it's, I was just praying and talking with them, um, behind, uh, behind the baptistry here about, in Ephesians 5, Paul sees a special connection between marriage and the church, and he sees this connection of how, man, there's something going on here that God has always given us these, 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 things to remind us of his great love for us, his great relationship with us. Um, Ethan's going to preach today about some of that tension in Hosea and that marriage relationship and Israel constantly breaking that. I think there's a powerful thing that God's doing here by saying, hey, not only are Ethan and Sarah getting married on Saturday, but Sarah is is stepping out even uncomfortably and saying, hey, you know, I, I don't like being in front of crowds, but I'm doing this now because I feel the Lord telling me to do it. And God sees a connection between marriage. God sees a connection between Christ's love for the church and a husband's love for a wife, a wife's love for a husband. It's a beautiful thing. And so beyond all the poetic words that I could express about that, I think it's worth just acknowledging the timing of what God's done here. And as a church, we can celebrate that. We can say, hey, this marriage, this this church membership, this baptism, it's all connected because the Lord is good. It doesn't mean you have to be married for God to love you and to be pumped. It just means that God is looking at this and saying, "Man, look at all these things that point to King Jesus." Amen. Amen. That's exciting. Sarah's going to come and read something for us. Be careful! With what? And if you can stand right here and read that, because this is your mic. Okay.
1: I got saved when I was little, but I never got baptized due due to fear of public speaking and then later feeling like it was too late. My family church hopped for most of my life and there were many times in my life when I struggled to feel close to God. My senior year of high school, I was overwhelmed by my own pressures and failure to meet my own expectations of perfection. I was dealing with anxiety, shame, and hopelessness. On one of my hardest days, I realized that success in the world isn't what matters most to me in my life, and I found hope in Jesus. I decided to give my entire life up to God. Not long after, I decided to go to SBU and met Ethan, who helped me grow more in my faith and understanding of the Bible. I started going to Memorial with him, the first church where I truly felt at home and part of the church. I began to understand baptism as more than just a profession of recent salvation. Baptism is a way for me to more fully follow Jesus and his teachings and give up my own life for his sake, and to share that publicly with the church. I want to follow the example of Christ. I realized that it's not too late to get baptized, and now I have a place to do so. I've now found a church and community where I feel like I belong, where I want to connect and grow with the people here. I'd expected to eventually get baptized when I felt some special spiritual closeness, but now I'm taking steps to put myself somewhere that I can worship Jesus and be surrounded by a community that will encourage that in me. Memorial will not only help me be involved in a church, but to be part of the whole body of Christ wherever I go. Giving my life to Jesus reminds me what it means to love. My life is a gift from God that I want to use for him. I hope to spend my life seeking God's wisdom in my life for my own growth. I'm starting to see now that it must be a decision that I make every day. Baptism will help me look back to a point in my life where I made a covenant with him and to recall the love of Christ that I feel now.
0: Mm. (laughs) Sarah, what is your profession of faith?
1: Jesus is Lord. That's
0: right. And you understand that you are uh, having a symbolic act right now to say you're joining the church, you're aligning yourself with Christ's mission, and that this isn't just the beginning, but just a long path of following Christ as his disciple. Yes. Yes, yeah, good. And church, you acknowledge that you're making a commitment, too. As members of Memorial, you're saying, hey, we're committed to Ethan, to Sarah, to walk in faith with them, to walk with Sarah and her discipleship. Yes? Amen. Okay. Amen. All right. Well, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, with the Spirit being in you, in the authority of the Father, I baptize you. very Christ, raised to new life in Him. Yes. Mm. So good. Let's pray. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for how baptism reminds us of Christ. His life, death, resurrection. Thank you for seeing uh, people changed by you. Stories of redemption that, that even step out in faith, uh, even years later, say, man, I want to follow you, Jesus. God, thank you for that. It's so exciting. We worship you, Father. We're thankful for all that you've done. We pray that we would continue to see more stories of redemption as you change the world. This is your world. You're constantly redeeming it in Christ. See your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Amen.
2: Let's worship together. morning. I'm Ethan. Um, I've been going to Memorial for a few years now. Uh, I'm serving as some kind of ministry intern uh, here. Uh, I have a year left at SBU. I'm studying ministry and philosophy. Um, and here I am. Um, you saw... Uh, Sarah got baptized. In case you just woke up, um, I'm getting married to her on Saturday. Thank. you. Uh, um, th- that's not an invitation. Um, yeah, we're we're the seats are filling, and um, we love you all. Uh, in, in some ways, like we we do want to invite you into. Just this reality of, of where we are um, in Sarah coming into baptism, uh, us coming into membership in this church, and um, just all the experience and the journey that I've had uh, just coming into this community, um, experiencing the love of God through you people. Um, so, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. Um, we're in the prophets today. Um, sort of in the prophets. We're also in the kings. Um, so a big thing about the prophets, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Isaiah. That might save us time. A uh, big thing about the prophets, uh, we say this uh, every week, we talk about the prophets, they're covenant watchdogs. I'm not going to bark. Um, <laughs> but but they're looking after um, the covenant that God's people have with him and pointing out all the places that they fail. Um and trying their best to draw attention to it and call us to come back, to return, to repent of these things, and to go back to God. Um, yeah, we're also still in the Kings, so we're going to talk about not only Hosea but also some bits from Second Kings. Um, most relevant will be these two kings. Um, who are ruling the north and the south kingdom at the same time. They're named Hosea and Hezekiah. So if you uh, get your nerd glasses on, Um, Hosea is almost the same as Hosea. Um, One's a king, one's a prophet. One's a book of the Bible, one's not. Um, So, yeah, I still haven't found Hosea yet. (laughs) Now, I have, like, all the verses that I was going to read printed out on this paper, but I still feel the need to turn the page to it. I'm going to give up on that. Um, (laughs) So, we're, um, also, if you just woke up, we're doing the Bible recap this year, uh, where we we go through the whole Bible in a year and preach on it as the weeks go. Um, If you are like me and behind or... Very behind. Um, it's not too late. We haven't even gotten to the New Testament yet. Um, there's these great, like, five-minute videos on Bible Project that will be like, "Here's what this whole book of Isaiah is about," uh, and you can just watch that and then jump into our schedule where we are. Um, so, join us, please, if you haven't already. It is um, an important thing to read through the Bible because. It's pretty much all that we talk about around here. Um, so get on the same page. Um, here's the big deal in Hosea. As we're going to see as we read through it, there's this um, these marriage pictures that get talked about a lot, um, these covenant watchdog things that get called out. We keep running away. We keep playing the harlot. We, we had a, a series of judges that we did like a year or two ago um, that talked about this phrase, playing the harlot. It comes up a lot in Hosea. Um, I'm actually going to change the translation from uh, how it is in ESV, um, but it's okay. It's the same word. The big deal for Hosea is we keep running away. We keep committing adultery, we keep cheating, running away, not doing what it is that we're called to do, what God redeemed us for, brought us out of Egypt, um, lifted us up, built us um, a nation of people set apart for God's purposes, and we're n- messing it up. We're not getting it right. And, but also a big thing that you'll see in Hosea, but also all the prophets and all the whole scripture is that God um, doesn't give up and he's still chasing us down still pursuing us, trying to bring us back in, wash us clean. There's a ton of beautiful pictures of, of that story throughout scripture. Hosea is a really good one. Um, so I'll just start reading Hosea uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 9. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beery in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take your wife. Take yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits great harlotry by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dublain. She conceived him and bore him a son. I'm going to go grab water. That's right over there. This is not going to work. Coughing and all this jazz. Um, So, the first son is named Jezreel. The Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. Um, I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy. Uh, Some translations might say, Lo Rukamah. That's the Hebrew for it. Um, For I will no no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. Then they have another son named No Mercy. Uh, There's just these terrible names for children. Um, And he marries a woman who is running off and doing all these terrible things, and God is commanding him to do these things. Um, this is a really bad thing to preach on when I'm about to get married, but it's okay. Um, this is not... Uh, I'm not Hosea. Uh, so, yeah, right. Um, Hosea marries uh, an adulterous woman, named his kids Terrible Things. Um, so let's talk about what... Um, evil is he calling out he, uh, Hosea is a prophet to the northern kingdom uh, northern Israel and what's important about the northern kingdom Israel is that all of their kings have been bad like if we have charts that we have thought about putting up sometimes that just like color code each king and like did he do good in the eyes of the Lord did he do rah in the eyes of the Lord was he kind of a mix of both all the kings in the north were raw not good Samaria, um, we heard the story of the good Samaritan to, um, the Israelites in this time, there were no good Samaritans because part of what makes the Northern Kingdom so bad is they were worshiping other gods at the same time as God. They weren't just turning away from God. They were saying we can do both. And they were also marrying from all different nations. And so in Jesus' time, Samaritans were half breeds, um, Idol worshippers, betrayers of God. They're. Uh, Turn the page. Not going to lose my cough drop. Hoshea, um, who we mentioned earlier, is the last king of the north, uh, right before the northern kingdom falls. He was described in 2 Kings chapter 17 as. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, but he was also not as bad as his fathers before him, which is probably important. I don't know what to do with that, but the northern king, Hoshea was less bad. In uh, chapter 17, the king of Assyria comes up, and we have a, there it is, against him came up Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, and Hoshea became his vassal paid him tribute, uh, protection money, or something like that. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hoshea, for he had sent messengers to sow the king of Egypt and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and came to Samaria. And for three years he besieged it. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria... And he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Hela and on Habor and the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. Um, This is where the whole northern kingdom falls. We get much less coverage of the northern kingdom falling than we do of Jerusalem. It's a way bigger deal in scripture that Jerusalem falls. Here we just get like a little chunk and it's over. Um. To pay attention to this, like, Assyria came and started getting, like, protection money from Hoshia. and Hoshia runs off to Egypt to try to get out of this, like, blackmail sort of situation that's going on, and he's caught in the act, and his whole kingdom is destroyed. Um, What is Hoshia not doing? What should he have been doing, based on what we understand of scripture? I'm just going to throw that to you. These cough drops are helping so much. Thank you, Kathy. (laughs) Um, So if you're a king of Israel and some big bad Assyrian whatever comes to you and says, give me money or I will destroy you. uh, What do you do? Seek the Lord. Thank you, Keith. Seek the Lord. Um, There's verses all over uh, that say Seek the Lord and he will protect you. Everything will go right for Israel if they seek the Lord. Um, Deuteronomy 28, I think is the next one. Look for the ifs. There's one right there. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I commanded you today, then the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And these blessings shall come upon you. And overtake you, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. We, we uh, When we talked about Solomon, we talked about these if commands. For the kings especially. If, if, if you follow. Only if. These are, these are words from Moses. Way back before the kingdom was even set up. We see God setting up this holy nation of people that follow him and are protected by him. Are given blessing by him. But as we see with these ifs, it wasn't with a guarantee of success. It was only if, if, if. Actually, um, if you've been reading along with us, you're going to start to see that God is actually kind of expecting Israel to fail. Uh, They're expecting that they won't be faithful, they won't obey all the commands, they're going to fail. Um, and actually, as we get to the words of Jesus here in a few months, we're going to see that's kind of the whole point is that we can't get it right on our own. We cannot um, be faithful to what God is asking of us, of our own strength. Um, that's the whole point. In First uh, Kings 8.25, these are the words of Solomon. He says, now for, O Lord God of Israel, keep For your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Um, Same deal. Obey, worship, keep the commands. That is the only way forward uh, for Israel. And... They don't. These are words from Solomon, as we said, who we had a big sermon about. We know all about how he started off so well. This wonderful king, wiser than all the other wise men, had more gold than he knew what to do with. It all goes down because he does not obey. We're, um, we're getting there. Then um, after Hosea does not turn to the Lord... Who does he turn to? Egypt. Keith, you're my superstar. This is great. I, I appreciate it really because like I need this back and forth. It's good. Um, he turns to Egypt. Man, that's the worst. Um, because what did God say about Egypt in Deuteronomy 17? Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Uh, Solomon broke this big time. Um, Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. Last place you want to be is Egypt, if you're an Israelite. And there he is, not turning to God, saying, I need your protection. I will keep your commandments because you're all I got. He says, Egypt wasn't so bad. Come on, this is familiar. I wish I had a chalkboard. Um, Thing got moved for something. It's probably better that I don't draw. Because God knows how dangerous it was for Egypt, for um, Israel to return to Egypt. He knew what was waiting for them there. That's why He brought them out of it. Why He brought them out of this slavery, this torture. God brought them out of Egypt just like we see Jesus bringing us out of our own sin and temptation later on. Um, Because he knows that if we go back to that, go back to the place that God brought us out of, church, you've seen this, we'd be in real trouble. Um, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a man that returns to his folly. Um, God sees that here. Don't go back to Israel. I brought you out don't go back. You don't need them. Here we are. So as we come to Hosea, Hosea is living at the same time as the last king of the north, Hosea. And he's watching all these mistakes come at the same time. He says in uh, chapter 11, verse 5, Yeah, they shall not return to the land of Egypt, as we just discussed, but Assyria will be their king. So, God is preventing them from going back to Egypt, but He is saying, since you keep refusing to return to me, guess where you're going? You're not going to get to keep going this way. Assyria is going to take you out. So, the result you'll hear more like this at the end of Kings, uh, probably a lot more terrible and miserable things. Uh, you remember from the Bible, are surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem. This is big chapters and chapters. Lamentations is all about the destruction of Jerusalem. Here we only get a few verses for the north. There's very little in scripture about it. So um, one thing that we can reference uh, to bring this up is to make sense of what happened, actually, to the northern kingdom as Assyria took them over. Um, What is the capital of Assyria? Nineveh Nineveh. what do we know about Nineveh who goes to Nineveh Jonah right Um, but he doesn't want to go to Nineveh why really really bad they when they came and took over a country or a town it was a mess Um, i Honestly, don't want to talk about it. Terrible things. That's what happens here. Um, The northern kingdom is destroyed. Um, We don't have time to stay here. We're moving on. Um, That's how the whole northern kingdom falls, as you've been reading about it. Now all that's left is one tribe, one of the sons of Jacob. Eleven of them have gone. One left, Judah in the south with King Hezekiah at the same time. I think it's the third year of King Hoshea's reign that Hezekiah becomes king in the south. So let's read about Hezekiah, see what kind of person he is. Um, chapter 18, yeah, here it is. Yeah, in the third year of Hoshea the son of Elah king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father has done. Good king. Yeah? He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, which is an idol. And he broke in pieces Oh, this is the best. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. So Hezekiah is like one of the last kings of Israel. There's like several before him. None of them picked up on this. There's a bronze serpent that, from Moses that people have been worshipping this whole time apparently. And He finally gets it. So here it is. He trusted the Lord, the God of Israel. So there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. Think of Solomon, how great he was, all this gold, all this wonderful things. David. Now Hezekiah, it says, he is better than those before him. He is better than those after him. This is the best king ever, apparently. Now there's like 10 times probably that kings will say, this is the best king ever. There were none like him before him, none after him. Here it is again for Hezekiah. This is fascinating. Because if, if you're paying attention in uh, 2 Samuel 7, I don't have a slide for this. But God says to David um, that the Messiah will be from his line, the son of David. The root of Jesse that we talked about. The seed is a stump. Go, God. Um, <laughs> the The Messiah will be one of the sons of David. And sons of David are, are understood to be kings. So as we are Israelites reading these books, we're expecting, okay, this king, here he comes. Is he going to be a Messiah? So we look at all these prophecies and understandings of who the Messiah would be. Uh, we have another verse that is is uh, Second Chronicles 30, which is also talking about Hezekiah. He does this huge revival. Do you guys have chapter 30? of Second Chronicles. It's a Hezekiah sent to all of Israel. It's okay if we don't read it. Um, he tears down all the... Okay, cool. He sent to all of Israel and Judah and wrote letters to Ephraim, Manasseh of the northern kingdom so that they should come down to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and the princes and all his assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at the time that they were supposed to because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem, and the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. They cleaned out the temple. They opened it. They made sacrifices like seven bulls, seven goats, seven everything, and said, um, this is later, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you, who escaped from the hands of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers, who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers, so that he made them a desolation. As you see, do not now be stiff necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. And serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, if you return to the Lord, your brothers, your children will find compassion from their captors and return to this land. Whoa. For so the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. This is a Hezekiah again, holding this big revival. Return to the Lord. Everything will be brought back if we return, if we stay faithful. Um, so as we're looking for the Messiah in these kings, let's hear just the amazing things about Hezekiah. He's the son of David. He's leading the faithful remaining Israelites to a revival, to worship God again. There are none like him before or after. And as Moses says, there is one greater than me coming. He's destroying the snake that was left over from Moses. Also, he's destroying the snake. <laughs> the snake crusher. I mean, this is Genesis 3. The protoevangelion, the um, The Gospel at the beginning the seed of woman will crush the snake here's hezekiah destroying the snake come on he's supposed to look really nice here these story structures should also remind us of all the other kings who failed like solomon um david goliath is described in a lot of weird snaky ways we don't have time to get into that um there's cool scenes in uh, chapter 19 that we just don't have time for um, where Hezekiah stands up to Assyria and he says like the some general from Assyria comes up and says your God's not real Um, we just destroyed the northern kingdom bow down to us come on we're going to destroy you and Hezekiah orders everyone just not to respond and then he prays to God and God says no I will protect you Um, jumping up to chapter 20 um, in 2nd Kings. After he's been fighting off Assyria for some time, in those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. Oh. What is that? Yeah, one through six. Am I wrong? Okay, I'll just read it to you. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover from this sickness. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out from the middle court, he turns around, Where the Lord came to him, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord God, the Lord of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you uh, and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend the city for my sake and for my servant David's sake. This, there's this story of, he says, how will I know that I've been healed? And the shadow of the sun like moves backwards. And he sees he has a little bit more time left. He says, you have 15 more years. I just almost spilled my water. Um, it's not important. You have a little bit more time because he says, I've been good. I've been following you. Don't let me die. Uh, but He does still have only 15 years left. So also, we see this happening for Judah. Just as the northern kingdom fell with Assyria, we know there's not much time left. There's been bad kings. They've been worshiping other gods. It's going to go downhill, because they're not fulfilling that if. So then, um, right after this story happens, the, some people from Babylon come. We haven't heard about Babylon yet. Um, it was Assyria was the big deal. Here's Babylon, and they come in and they say, "We heard you were sick. Here's some gifts." And Hezekiah says, "Thank you. I'm going to show you around." And he showed them everything he owned, every gold, every silver, every every valuable thing. He shows them around, and then Isaiah comes in and he's, "What did you do? Why did you show them everything?" Um, Isaiah says this to Hezekiah. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house, that you just showed them, um, that which your fathers have stored up to this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Um, and here's what Hezekiah says in response. The word of the Lord that you've spoken is good. It's good. For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. I'm okay. I'm not going to die. The Lord healed me. Hezekiah just is, is covering his own butt. So much for the good king that we heard about. This is the last we hear of Hezekiah. Then it, the, the chapter goes on, like, these are all the works of Hezekiah. Go read Chronicles to see more details. But this is the end. And then there's another king, and all this keeps going. We keep running away. God keeps chasing us. Um, it gets better. Um, we're going to go back to Hosea and see what he has to say about all this. this cycle. Running away. God's chasing us. In chapter 2, um, Hosea two fourteen through 17. Yeah. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. He's, he has this adulterous wife that he's dealing with, and he sees God doing the same thing with us. Therefore, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her her vineyards and make the Valley of Acre a door of hope. There she shall answer, as in the days of her youth, As at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me Ish. We talked about this um, a long time ago. You will no longer call me Baal. Um, You will call me husband and no longer Lord. You call me man and no longer God. Um, Man. Uh For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth. And they shall be remembered no more. In uh, chapter 11 much later on. It says, uh, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. Remember that? Yet it was I, in verse 3, yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms. Ephraim is one of the tribes in the northern kingdom. It was I who taught them how to walk. Have you ever taught like a child how to walk? It is beautiful. It's also really awkward. Um, I remember my parents doing that with me. Ah. Uh, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their chaws. I bent down to them and fed them. They shall not return to the land of Egypt, but Assyria shall be their king, because they have refused to return to me. The sword shall rage against their cities, consume the bars of their gates, and devour them because of their own counsels. My people are bent on turning away from me, and though they call me out to the most high, they, they call out to the most high, he shall not raise them up at all. How can I give you up, O Ephraim, my son? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adama, like Zeboim? I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the holy one in your midst. I will not come in wrath. They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like the birds of Egypt, like the doves of the land of Syria. And I will return them to their homes, (laughs) declares the Lord. Um, Back in chapter 2, I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. That's uh, Baruchama, his daughter. I will have mercy on those who have no mercy. I will say to not my people, Lo, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. We're coming back. Um, I don't know how else to connect this, but just just say this reminded me of something in 2 Corinthians. Even through all the rebellion of the world, God still wants to reconcile us, draw us back in, We keep running. God keeps chasing. It's wonderful. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is great. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what stuck out to me, that he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He said to not my people, you are my people. He's mislabeling here, but it's, it's beautiful. Um, him who is not sin, Jesus, uh, is made to be sin. Us who are not his people are made to be his people. In him, we might become the righteousness of God. And we are given the ministry of reconciliation. Um, So, here in this bit here, if you are in Christ, you are a reconciler. That is what we are here for. That is what the church is here for. The body of Christ, doing the work of Christ, that he once did. Reconciliation, bringing you back in, chasing down forgiveness. If you are in Christ, you are part of the ministry of reconciliation. What does that look like for you specifically? Um, Here's just, I'll throw this out, what it means for me to be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. Um, as, as part of God's people. Um, for one, um, Sarah, I um, am trying, doing my best to um, be a good husband for her uh, soon and be a good person for her now, um, to give her a place where she feels she can belong, she can grow in Christ. Um, she can feel this, this home Uh, this community, this reconciliation being brought through God. I'm not the one that's doing it, but I'm sort of doing it as the body of Christ to her. Um, This also, for me, looks a lot like silence. Um, I am quiet in general. Sometimes it's because um, I know there is something I shouldn't say. Uh, Sometimes I say things that I don't want to say, but I know that I should say. Um, but it looks like giving up what I want to say to the Ministry of Reconciliation. Is this for good? Is this for bringing back? Is this the work of Jesus, or is it mine? Um, This looks like serving the church for me. Um, Studying um, things in the Bible, these connections, teaching about them uh, to whoever's willing to listen to me. Um, Finding these connections and working out my salvation fear and trembling and there's a lot of fear and trembling um, just giving everything I have all of my abilities all of my relationships all of my desires that is his it is for the ministry of reconciliation because I have been reconciled This uh, forgive as you have been forgiven I have been reconciled and so I have to be a reconciler for him. That's what it is for me. Um, here's what it could look like for you. Uh, if you're a parent, the ministry of reconciliation is vital um, for how we relate to our children. Um, the ministry of reconciliation is vital for how we treat our spouses, as, as I've talked about already, um, how you work, everything, everything you do, how you read the Bible, how you sit here in the chairs, it is the the ministry of reconciliation. If it's not, then find more ways for it to be, because you have been reconciled. Be reconcilers for Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for Everything you've given us, everything you've given me, the reconciliation that you have brought um, to me that I do not deserve. I thank you for this church, this community, um, these people, and for sending your word for us so that we can come to know you more. I thank you for Sarah, for her baptism, and um, for all that she's been to me. I thank you for all that I can thank you for. Um, Be with us. um, Help us to grow as reconcilers as you have reconciled us. In your name we pray. Amen.